Welcome to the Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what the absolute hell is 2020 doing to us? I mean, I just remember all of us in December of 2019 sitting there being like, 2020 is going to be the best year. We got a new decade, all this great stuff. And then Kobe passes. And now this coronavirus crap has everything in the world shut down. It's absolutely absurd. I am bored out of my mind on quarantine. Bored out of my mind. And I'm not literally quarantined, but it feels like it because we're forced to work from home. And again, we're not forced, but highly encouraged to work from home. And I am just found out that we might even get extended to have to work from home until the middle of April. So I got no sports because coronavirus took away the NBA and my all-time favorite, March Madness. And guys, let's just take a pause for March Madness right now because I am so sad that these athletes don't get to compete during this time. This is one of the best events that happens in a year, and we're going to have to miss out on it because corona be coronaing. I've... Ugh. This is unreal, y'all. I mean, I've just continued to talk to a lot of my friends who live around the country. Everyone knows that it's absolutely nuts up here in Seattle. There's pretty much every business that has a corporate headquarters up here is pretty much have having all of their people work from home during this time. So all of my friends are on what we like to call quarantine as well. And I'm hearing that all other cities around the around the country are actually doing the same thing. I have a friend who's up in Chicago, friends in San Francisco, friends in LA, friends in Atlanta, friends in New York, uh, Philadelphia. I mean, even my little brother who goes to Rice University has to take all of his classes online from now on, uh, now until the end of the semester. This is just, it's just absolutely nuts. So, you know, Corona gonna Corona, it is what it is. But on a brighter note, I got a brand new Pinot Noir from Willamette. I am I saying that right? Willamette? Yeah, Willamette, Oregon. And guys, this this might be the best growing region for Pinot Noir I think I've ever had. And I'm not going to tell you guys the brand because I've had about four or five different brands from Willamette, Oregon, all their Pinot Noirs. And guys, this this is much better than anything I've ever had from France, anything I've ever had from Portugal. And again, if you like lighter bodied red wines, I would highly recommend that you try, try a Pinot Noir from Willamette, Oregon. And seriously, I mean, they're not even the most expensive bottles when you go and sit down at a restaurant. Me and a buddy actually went out over the weekend just to go grab some dinner because, well, you know, we're on quarantine and why wouldn't we support our local businesses, especially while they're going through this tough time. And we wanted to step out and get some good wine. And while we're sitting down and I'm looking at the wine list, I'm like, wow, this Pinot Noir is only $17. Everything else on here is about like 30 to $40. I don't want to spend that much tonight. Actually, I don't want to spend that much just in general. I'm going to go try this out. And then I ended up trying it and I was like, oh, holy crap. And then ever since that, I think that was Friday night. Ever since then, I've just continued to try different Pinots from Willamette. And I'm making myself sound a little bit like an alcoholic. But y'all, this this wine is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So I'll go check that out, especially while you're kind of quarantined in the house. There's nothing better than drinking some wine watching, I don't know, The Bachelor ended a couple weeks ago. So I would say, you know, watching maybe some Russian soccer or you could turn on ESPN and watch, you know, what ESPN has to say about coronavirus. I, I don't know. I am staying away from all news media outlets because of the fact that all they're doing is talking about coronavirus. So I'm going to stop talking about damn coronavirus. 
So today, guys, we have one awesome, awesome guest. So I was lucky enough to be featured on my buddy Paul Riley's podcast called The Riley Rant. And I could put that, I'll put the uh, episode in the show notes here so you guys can listen to it where Paul interviewed me on what he had as a, he calls it his bold series. And it's really, really dope. And when he sent me the outline to it, I wanted to steal it. I'm just being honest with y'all, but I couldn't. So, and I'm not going to, that's not the type of person that I am. So I was super excited to come on to Paul's show and actually talk about through my bold journey and how I've made different career switches and just changes in my career over the last four years. But Paul is a JD candidate at the Columbia School of Law. Yep, that's right. Ivy League. My man is doing it big. And he's here today to help us understand his journey from graduating his undergraduate at Princeton. That's right. He actually went to school with Cameron Maple, the guy that we just heard on our last episode, and how he went to Dropbox, which is another global tech company, huge tech company, how he ended up getting into legal there, and then how he ended up pivoting and going to law school and getting into this great Ivy League school. So I'm super excited to have Paul on today. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. And shoot, let's get into this. Enough of me rambling and enough of the damn coronavirus. And y'all, as I mentioned, I got my man, Paul Riley, that I met, again, one of these awesome dudes that I met at Coachella. We were having a good-ass time, and I just remember, like, we were chilling out in the pool. It was me, you, and Cam, and I think I had one of the most, I would say, enlightening conversations I've, I've ever had with just some very smart, educated people. But regardless, my man Paul's got his his podcast called The Riley Rant, and it is freaking amazing. I We were looking at the outline earlier this morning, and I was like, shit, Paul, this is about to be awesome. But anyways, Paul, thank you so much for joining us here from New York today. No, thank you for having me. And I feel like this has been years in the making. We talked about this. I think we realized at Coachella that we were both on the podcast. I don't know. I don't know if you'll call it a circuit or yeah. the podcast <laughs> bubble. And so it was cool to see that your project, uh, The Millennial Way, is just taking off. And I'm really happy we got to do this. Like I said earlier, I felt like it was years in the making. Oh, it definitely was. And, you know, as I think about it now, I'm like, this is actually the perfect time. Because a lot of the questions that I had for you back then, I'm still very curious about and we'll, we'll touch on today, like your time at Dropbox and then also kind of the transition from, I mean, shit, you used to travel all the way all the, around the world. You're in Berlin a couple of times. I remember seeing on your Instagram, <laughs> but like back then I only would have talked about that. But now I really want to talk about like your time at Columbia and how that's also going to help set you up for success, not only today, but, you know, moving forward. So that kind of leads me into my first question for you, Paul, is can you give us kind of a cliff note version of, you know, your career from Princeton to where you're at today? Because I think it's super interesting how you got into tech, how you went work to Dropbox for a little while. And now you're at such a prestigious school such as Columbia, which is, I mean, amazing. Well, I think it started. So I graduated in 2015 um, and I had a liberal arts degree. So I studied politics. And I think that was an advantage in terms of you could learn so many different things and work with professors at Princeton and, and get those experiences. But I think you really reach that inflection moment when you're graduating and you're like, oh, I have this politics degree and it's liberal arts, but a lot of these companies are looking for like a marketing background, as you wouldn't know, like a marketing <laughs> background or yeah. sales or general management or economics. And so really trying to figure out uh, my next move was an interesting one. And I think what people don't talk about, but I think what's becoming more prevalent in the college hiring processes, a lot of people are coming from 
the banks the summer after their junior year, getting those full-time offers, and then coming back and sort of relaxing senior year with that job in place. And so yeah. I think a lot of the pressure at that time was seeing a lot of my good friends coming back with those offers from those banks and they didn't have to worry about the recruitment process. And the rest of us were like, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? And so I was fortunate enough growing up in Philly to be in a, an HR program, an HR internship through a program called Work Ready Philadelphia. It was getting like 16 year olds into the working world. And so okay. I randomly had all this HR experience uh, for my summers in high school and college that I used that to sort of uh, move out to California to work at Visa um, in HR. And I realized that I enjoyed that, but also realized that I was so hooked on HR because it was interesting, but also because just by the nature of it, I had so much experience in it. And so I never really interrogated, is this what I want to do? Is this something I want to yeah. do long term? I think it was more so just, this is where my experience is. Let me just see where this goes. Uh, but you know, to make a long story short, I ended up in California and I was able to uh, move from Visa to LinkedIn. They had a business rotational program, which gave you exposure to HR. But then you also moved to customer operations, which is sort of working with the enterprise okay. clients and then sales. And then um, at the end of that rotation, I was making like 100 calls a day at times <laughs> on the sales team. And I was like, how did I get so far from that liberal arts education? And so I was then able to uh, pivot to Dropbox where I was working on the legal team. Commercial legal work is more so contract negotiation. Okay. So you're basically getting on the phone and you're working with our internal clients. So when you were at Starbucks or now you're at Nordstrom, if you were trying to work on a legal contract, you would come to the in-house legal team and we would negotiate those terms for the company. Yep. But then Dropbox was also selling Dropbox business to enterprise customers. So we would negotiate those sales deals. So it gave me a full That's experience cool. leveraging that, pet, that, that business experience, but then also the legal work. So it was not by any means a straightforward path. It was a lot of trial and error, a lot of restarting on jobs and starting over again, which was at times, I think in that moment, tough to reconcile. But I, I think that though they were tough decisions to make, those are the ones that sort of helped me get clarity on law school and just on, you know, my ultimate career goals. So it wasn't pretty, there were bumpy uh, yeah. aspects of the journey, but it was all worthwhile. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'd say that's, that's something that I've learned and just, you know, interviewing other friends and people that I've met is that everyone's career journey is not linear, right? And we may start with a goal in mind, and then we end up with a completely different goal in mind. I mean, my goal in mind when I was, you know, first starting out in corporate America was like, I want to be the CEO, I want to be making millions of dollars, I want to travel all the time, blah, 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 stuff like that. And then I was like, taking a step back and also like going through my career, I realized that one corporate America is cutthroat, right? Yeah. Like it, it truly is. And also, Maybe and at will employment. Go. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right? all at <laughs> <laughs> it's all at will. My first job in my career, I lost like that job no longer exists because not because of anything that I did and not because of anything my manager did or my director did or my VP did, but because our business just wasn't fit to be there anymore. And our CEO came down and was like, we're done with this. And I was like, I just got here. They don't care. Yeah. They did not care. You know what I'm saying? But long yeah. story short, like I tried out marketing and then I tried out like a strategy role. And then I got back into marketing and now I'm like, okay, like marketing is what I want to do. But to your point, it's not an easy linear road. Like if I look at it three, four years ago, I think about like, oh, I thought so clearly that I was going to be moving up the ladder within my business unit. And then my business unit dissolved. And I'm like, okay, I guess I got to pivot and think differently. And I do kind of want to touch on like being in legal at Dropbox because my little brother, and this is kind of like a personal question because my little brother is super interested in getting into like tech within legal. 
and he's getting his like bachelor's degree at Rice. He's similar to you getting his liberal arts degree. Um, if I, I would misstate his major if I actually said it because I, <laughs> I can't. It's like some I, I would call it quantum physics and, and politics or whatever, but it's like some something around there. But he wants to get into the legal field within the tech industry. So do you have any any tips or like quick quick advice that you would say helped you kind of get into that that area within Dropbox? Yeah, I think the 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 beauty of sort of the Dropbox experience was it was just being in SF and being aware of that and having a friend who worked there who referred me and and so it definitely was a a friend and just being in that ecosystem that allowed me to see that. But I think it's great that your brother's thinking about tech because I think one of the biggest hurdles, even from a diversity and inclusion perspective is trying to educate the broader public on the fact that these tech companies actually have sales teams and marketing teams and business operations teams. We see Facebook or we see Instagram or Dropbox. We see these companies that have this service that's online and we don't realize what's behind the scenes. And so it's cool that he's already realizing that there are legal opportunities there. I would say a lot of the focus at tech companies um, in general is more so on getting people at the entry level. So trying to hire during the fall of your senior year or trying to get you after you've had three or four years of experience in another area that's pertinent to the role you want to get to in tech. And so since he's still in college and thinking about that, I think the best move is to hound those job boards and those tech websites and get those Google alerts on when these tech companies start to hire, because they're all doing it on the same path. It's like October, they're going to start hiring for (laughs) next uh, summer or next fall hiring. And people don't realize that it's that early, but they're very aggressive and we want to be doing final round interviews by Thanksgiving or Christmas. We want to have our offers by New Year's or mid-January, yeah. even though they're not starting till August. And I know that that's becoming more prevalent now, but if more people know that, they'll be thinking about this stuff in July and August and not January, February when much of it's been wrapped up. Yeah, totally. So just being proactive in the thinking and then also being proactive in your job search, right? And I think I mean, that holds true for anybody looking for a job coming out of college, right? I remember looking at yeah. jobs on LinkedIn my junior year and my friends being like, <laughs> yeah. why are you looking at jobs already? And I'm like, because I want a job offer before I leave here. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be looking after I graduate. But um, anyway. But I think one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say on. too is people don't realize, and I think because with my whole visa experience, I received that offer, uh, I think right before Thanksgiving of my senior year. And I was grateful for that experience, but I often tell people, like when I go back to do alumni talks, when I'm talking to people who are still in their senior year, I'm like, you will never have this much time again. You'll never have nine months of, um, you know, you're still working senior year. Senior writers hasn't kicked in just yet, but you'll never have that time to really be thoughtful about what do I want to do? Or I don't have to necessarily take that first offer. I can wait and wait it out and realize that something may come in the spring. And I think it's being comfortable with that ambiguity, but realizing that not that once you choose your first job, you're sort of pigeonholed, but you'll never just have that time to be in a space of college where you can think about what it is that I want to do. And, you know, this is the time to really be risk oriented. I, I maybe want to try that. Let me explore that. And it doesn't have to be let me apply, but let me do that coffee chat. Let me yep. try to connect with someone in that space, because, again, just that time is so it doesn't feel like much in that moment. But once you leave, it's so hard. Once you leave, it's so hard to sort of get those experiences um, in a thoughtful way where you don't have to worry about, oh, if I leave this job, I have to give them two weeks notice and I have to make sure I don't lose income in the middle of that gap that I'm taking. All these different factors that come about after you leave. So just being mindful of that. 
No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And also like even the fact that you are at your work from nine to five every day, right? Like coffee chats that used to be so easy and so simple to have at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or, you know, over lunchtime or even like the early afternoon, you can't really do that with people who are external of your company anymore because yeah. I mean, you can, but you have to be very intentional about it. And then it also is a, it's a sacrifice of something, right? Like you have your morning routine that you go through every single morning when you're getting up in the morning and getting ready to go to work. And if you're going to meet up with somebody earlier to go just have a coffee chat, say you're meeting up with them at eight o'clock and you show up to the office every day at nine, you have to get up earlier and leave your house a little bit earlier and you're going to be out of your groove a little bit. Right. Yeah, and it's just an exactly. uncomfortable feeling. So to your point, take that time during your senior year to truly be intentional about it and go out and meet people and network and do the things that you want and also be risk oriented because you're like, this is the only time that I could truly take this risk because I have no responsibilities. Yeah. Right. I'm only paying for me, myself and I, I don't have, and I mean, you might have a child, but majority of us do not. So mm -hmm. like, you know, only having to take care of yourself and having to pay for yourself. And I, I'm just, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but that kind of leads me into another question for you because knowing that you were working and I'm going to assume that you were working while you were preparing to get ready for your LSAT. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of stuff on your plate. You're trying to get into some of the most prestigious schools as you go to Columbia today. I know it's a top, top tier law school. And you're also at a I would say probably relatively demanding job working at Dropbox, right? Big time mm -hmm. global global corporation, tech tech services, it's changing every single day. And you had to manage your time, Paul. Let's let's be real. You yeah. had to really prioritize and really think about doing things intentionally. And could you just take us through your thought process and how you were able to kind of execute on being so timely and then also like how you organized yourself and just really made it all the way through the LSAT process while also still working in your, your pretty demanding job. Yeah, I think, and I, I want to be truthful about this because I think you sometimes look back with rose colored lenses like, oh, it all <laughs> was fine. But I think, you know, one of the things that I'll admit is that I'm a big procrastinator in the sense that I enjoy working under pressure. I enjoy the time crunch, uh, even though I know it's bad every time, but I just, I feel like I get that creative flow Right like up near the deadline. That time. Yeah, I'm in the best during that time. But I think one thing that I had to sort of realize throughout the process was that you had to fight the procrastination, but you also just be intentional about realizing what it is that you wanted um, throughout the process and realizing that it was going to take a lot of work. You know, there were times where I was losing weekends trying to study for the LSAT. It was also times where I had to get to work early mm -hmm. to go to a conference room to work and then maybe after work, do a couple more drills, and then sort of not only that, but thinking about recommendations and the application process more broadly, and also trying to make sure I'm performing well because you have performance reviews every six months, so you can't have a lapse in <laughs> performance at work. And so all these things were sort of working together. But I think for me, and I, so I'm a procrastinator and I'm not a morning person, but I think overcoming those two things are just crucial because one thing that I realized is that you know, you can try to say, I'm going to go to the gym at night or I'm going to try to study at night, but we know how life works. You're never going to be able to predict what happens at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. And so what really helped me, even though I'm not a morning person, was trying to wake up at maybe 6 or 7 on some days out of the week, like being realistic. Not every day I was going to be able to yeah. do that, but trying to get that time where it's uninterrupted. I mean, no one's bothering you. No one's up at that point. The beauty of Dropbox is they're based on the West Coast, so we didn't have to worry about necessarily New York clients Yep. pinging you at 6 a.m. 
uh, like I know some people um, in other industries in, in California have to deal with. So that was a benefit. But I think it's beauty of trying to find that uninterrupted time. And if you know that you can't control the back end of your day, really trying to prioritize, even if it's an hour and a half or 45 minutes, can I just get in early and try to get those things done? I think that's what really helped me. I think what also helped me is sort of scheduling. I think we often talk about our goals and trying to manifest them, but we rarely talk about how am I going to get from point A to B? We often say, I want to go to law school or I want to do X, Y, or Z thing. But I think it really comes down to, and it sounds very basic, but I, re I really think it comes down to really planning out what are my goals for this week? And then once you realize your goals, then realizing, okay, am I leaning into only the things that I'm good at? Like, do I just want to drill the areas that I want to feel confident about and get my little boost because I know that? Or do I want to spend that harder labor on those areas where I'm weaker and realizing that it's going to be more painful and frustrating, but I need to yep. prioritize this and, and not go for the quick instant gratification, but try to drill down on, on areas where I'm struggling. And so I think at a high level, it's more so the planning, but then realizing that the plan is probably already oriented to your strengths. So then going back and saying, am I just prioritizing this aspect of it because it feels easy and I feel good about myself and not feel the stress of not knowing that other stuff, or am I going to really be intentional about really trying to get uncomfortable and being comfortable with being uncomfortable in the study process and in the application process, because that's how you're going to really improve. And it's not going to magically happen. It's going to take the grind of why do I keep messing up this question type? Or why do I keep getting caught up on this one concept? Why is it so hard? It should be simpler than this. And just moving through that, I think, really helped me. But leaning into those weaknesses, I think, is most important versus reiterating what you're good at. Yeah, no, I thank you first off for that. That's that's amazing because I I absolutely love that. And I think you touched on a lot of key points there. First off, it was like recognizing your weaknesses, right? And being yeah. comfortable to say I am a procrastinator. I think the first, the number one thing that all procrastinators like myself say is I don't <laughs> procrastinate. I just work well under pressure, right? And I started there. I had to move it back. I started on that. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, we first off, like as procrastinators, I would say it's a pretty like global thing. Is that most procrastinators do work well under pressure, and that's when we we like to thrive, and that's when we get creative because we like to make quick pivots and, and think differently within you know a short amount of time and make quick decisions. But being thoughtful about that, and also saying, you know, my long term goal is to get into a really good law school. So if I want to do really well on this, I have to plan this out because I got to get better at this because I'm not going to be able to procrastinate all the time when I'm 30, 35, 40, you know, and I'm rocking and rolling in my career, but I also have a crap ton of other things going on. I got a little kid running around. I got a yeah. wife or, you know, a partner in life. And I'm also, I have so much more on my plate, right? As we continue to get older in our life, it's crazy, but the more responsibility we continue to take on, right? And it's like, I don't know how in the world from the age 23 to 25, I feel like I got more weight on my shoulders than I ever have, but I'm like, shit, right? Like, and that's only across two years. I can only imagine what it's going to do in the next five to 10. But I say all of that because your point on being planful and being intentional about being planful and then also sacrifices, right? You're like, I'm, I'm not a morning person, but I'm going to be realistic. I'm going to wake up two to three days a week early to be able to get that time back in my day be focused. I'm going to work on my schoolwork or I'm going to work on not schoolwork, but I'm going to work on my prep for my LSAT. And then I'm going to knock this shit out the park. And then it proved to be successful. Right. And then you end up continuing to do pretty well in your performance reviews. Right. Stop me if I'm wrong. And then you had to have done well on your LSAT to get into Columbia. So I'd love to hear from you next on your process of like 
So you take the LSAT. You did. Did you only take it one time or did you take it multiple times? I took it twice. Yeah. Okay. So you took it twice, which is still a good amount of times, right? Like that's a lot of studying. And then you got into Columbia. So how was that like when you were talking about like the application process and like getting into a school such of that sort? Like how was that? I'm clueless when it comes down to to getting into a law school like that or getting into law school in general. So how how would you say like the process went? I think that, so I think I was in a fortunate position because at Dropbox, I was working on the legal team and there was not necessarily an expectation, but it wasn't unfathomable to hear that one of the legal analysts wanted to go to law school and we had a template of people before us. So there were a class of about three to four analysts each year and some would decide I want to go to law school. Someone would say, I don't want to do this. I want to go into business. And they would, you know, get that experience and that knowledge and not go down the law school path, which would be beneficial for them in the long run. But I think it was cool to have that system of and that practice of people going to law school so that you don't have to worry about hiding. I think a lot of people I talked to were trying to hide at night or in the morning, trying to not tell their <laughs> their team about the fact that they were interested in law school or applying to law school. And even, you know, when they got in, their team being surprised when they're giving their two weeks notice, like, yeah, I'm going to law school. And they're like, I, we never knew about this. Like, yeah. and I know there's a lot of stress around people having those conversations. And I realized that's a real issue. And I, I think I was fortunate not to have to grapple with that, but I know that does exist. But I think one thing that I had to learn going through the process, because I feel like law school or any admissions process or any hiring process, it sometimes feels so idiosyncratic, so sort of unpredictable. Whereas, you know, these schools are getting applications from some of the the best and the brightest across the country that they could fill their class with any number of variations they wanted because it's just so many applications for, for so few spots. And so I say all that to say that what I had to also realize throughout the process was that I had to be a full person when applying and I had to be my full self when I was applying and realizing that, yes, I want to gain admission to these schools, but that I also have something to offer. And I think one of the things that I see when talking to people who are interested in the law school process or in, in a job interview or in an MBA or whatever it may be is being careful not to have this one-way street of, oh, please, please give me this opportunity. I'm at your mercy. Please yeah. open up a spot for me to, to come here. And I think it's important to be humble and to be grateful. But I think you also have to walk that fine line of shifting it a bit to say, oh, but I also am a unique person. I also bring something through just my lived experience and my work experience to the table that would be valuable for any law school, that would add value to any classroom, that would enlighten any clinic or or any sort of program that the law school has to offer. And so I think it's more so walking that fine line of humility and confidence to say, I need to bring my full self. I need to be confident in my abilities and what I bring. And I have to also let that shine through the application because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been on interview panels where I've been interviewing people and they look amazing on paper. They have all the relevant experience, but you don't. they never tell you why they want to join a Dropbox or why they want to mm-hmm. join this organization or why we should take you over this other person. And, and so that's one of my biggest pet peeves when I just talk to people. I'm like, you know, find ways to also tell the school how they can help you get to where you need to be or how they can help you realize those goals. And so I think I had to shift that a lot because imposter syndrome and all those things are very real. And I think throughout the process, it's such a long process. You apply in the fall, you hear back maybe January, February, March, but it's a three-month trickle of drip, drip, drip. You get a decision here, a rejection there, a decision there, a rejection there, that it's such a long and arduous process that 
you have to realize why you're doing it, but also realize that you also have something to offer because that just impacts your interaction when you're talking to these schools and saying, I want to come here because of this. I feel that I can add this. And you're saying it in a way that leads them to believe that they can help you in the goal that you described to them. And I think that's really the crux of it. It's people want to help you get to where you think you want to go, but if they don't know, they can't help you. And if you're just pushing out an application that's very sort of generic or relying on your undergrad uh, education or on your work experience to push you over, it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be the, to the totality of your candidacy. And I think the more people realize that, the more you put as much energy into the testing and the application as you do to the motivation and the why and the understanding of why you're doing this to begin with. And I, and I think that those things are also important in creating that complete portrait uh, for those people who are reading that file and making those decisions in the end. Yeah, no, I, that was, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Paul, uh, seriously. I think you touched on a lot of, a lot of great things there. And I think the most important one just is like that fine line of the confidence and humbleness. Right. Yeah. I think back to just my interviews with big corporations when I was going through it um, in, in college for internships and I was brand new at the interview process, but I was going at it as like that. I, I almost want to call it begging where it was like, I've done all these great things, but this is why I need to be here. This is why I would love to be here. Right. I want to yeah. learn from you guys. And yes, absolutely. They're going to teach you on the job. That's a part of what happens when you get to a company that's almost table stakes. But at the same time, like you were saying, you need to prove and show that you have that value that you could bring to the table because yeah. that's what they're hiring you for. Right. And then that also brings out a sense of confidence in yourself because it's like, I do have something that I'm valuable for. I have a unique background or I have a unique set of skills or I have a unique thought process or unique perspective, whatever it is, like you as an individual are unique. And the only way that a company is going to believe in you is if you believe in yourself first off. And then also you're able to portray that unique value. And they're going to be like, we need Paul, right? Like we need someone like you here because you have that different thinking. And that's why we're hiring for this position. We're not hiring yeah. you to be a yes man. We're not hiring you to be coming in and just do your work and then leave at five o'clock every single day. We want you to think above and beyond. And yeah. by bringing that uniqueness, you're able to show that, right? And that's what I think is is super awesome about you is the fact that you are able to think through that and say, I need to be confident, but I also need to be humble and vulnerable enough to ask the questions. And uh, I think the coolest thing about just like life and people who are confident is when they're like, they're confident enough to say, I don't know, but you know what? I'll go find out. Right. Yeah. Like you ask them a question and they really, truly don't know the answer. They're not going to make it up. They're like, yeah. I, I'm just going to go figure it out. But I'll tell you this, I'm confident enough in myself to go figure this out or no, go find people who can figure it out for me and then tell me, and then I'll follow back up with you. But I, I yeah. think that's a, that's a really cool thing. And Paul, we're, we're running out of, or not out of time, but a little low on time because we're having such good conversation right now. So I got one last question for you for this one. You feeling me? Yep, let's do it. Um, so just, I got to ask this question. I ask everybody this question because I think everybody has, again, unique perspectives, unique thinking when it comes to life. But say I never met you before. I mean, shit, just like we were at Coachella. And I came up to you and I was like, man, I just need some advice uh, on anything. What would be your top two to three tips in just in life, in work, in career, or in, in anything in general? Yeah, I think my top tips would be trusting and, and knowing who you are and leaning into that. Um, I say that because I was recently in a 
mock trial and moot court competitions. And I think one of the judges gave some great feedback to all the competitors where she was basically saying, you all have such different styles of presentation, but it works for all of you because you're true to who you are. I know that this is who you are and how you present yourself and you're not trying to be something you're not. And so I think just being authentic is, I think, the, the most important thing because I think people can see through BS easily. I think people are, mm-hmm. even in this day and age, whether it's the political climate or whatever it may be, people are very cynical. And so I think people are able to sift through BS quickly. So I think being authentic is so important. But I think also, and I was alluding to this a bit earlier, I think it's just being gentle and kind to yourself and having mercy on yourself to say, I am inundated with Instagram posts and Facebook posts of all these great things happening around me, but realizing that I'm working on my own time and in my own season, and I have to trust my process and my path and not be envious or jealous of others who are maybe successful in in ways that society deems, but that I'm going to work on my own path and my own self to get to where I need to be and trusting yourself in that process and realizing that if you're your authentic self and if you're trusting the process and taking it one step at a time, there's truly nothing that you can't accomplish or or achieve um no matter what it may be or how far-fetched it may seem i'm at the initial stages yeah no i lo- i love that and first off shout out to your 76ers i know you just gave an, a, sh- a quick <laughs> shout out to Embiid. okay I, okay from philly um and trust in the process but i think it's 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 very valuable because being authentic being true to who yourself like that's the only way you're ever going to be able to truly present who you are right and that's yeah. when like I think that greatness flourishes from authentic people and from genuine connections. And when people are able to be like their genuine, authentic self, like no one's ever blaming them for anything, right? Yeah. Like you tell a bad, you go to a comedy club, you tell a bad joke and or the comedy, the comedian tells a bad joke, two people are laughing and like, they're actually dying laughing. You're looking at them and you're like, okay, like I didn't think that was funny, <laughs> but like yeah. y'all really thought that was funny, right? Like if you can <laughs> sift through that BS and a fake laugh or a real laugh. And then secondarily, your second tip, I thought that was great because it parlays into each other, right? And it's like being authentic and then, well, and that's like, that kind of plays into my second point is just the fact like being authentic. And then also it's not a competition. And like, that's something that when I first graduated college, like I did think it was a competition. Like I'm competing with all other 23 year olds in my, in my group. We all just got our bachelor's and I'm trying to make more money than you and climb and climb faster and climb higher and all this stuff like that. But I realized that it's not a competition. Every organization is different. Everybody's career path is different. Everybody's life journey is different, right? Like I think back to my own mother, she had a baby, my, my older sister, when she was 18 years old, she worked in sales, worked in fashion. And then Mm -hmm. when she was in her thirties, she went back and got her nursing degree. And now she's a freaking rock rock star nurse and <laughs> management and all this stuff. Right. But I'm like, if I think back to it, like if she was trying to quote unquote compete with people, then she would have stayed in sales. She would have stayed in fashion. She would have probably killed it in that. But would she have been as happy as she is today? Most likely not. Would she have been able to yeah. spend as much time with her children as she wanted to? Probably not. Like, or I can't, I can't even put a number on, or I can't even tell you if it's true or not because she wasn't competing. Right. And we're not competing, you and I, like me and my friends, we don't compete. Like it's really not that big of a competition when you think about it in your own life journey, because we are where we are in the present, no matter what, we can't change that today, but we can continue to be on our paths and continue down that trajectory and continue down that path of greatness. And shit, you might be the next 40 year old CEO, or I might be the next 50 year old CEO. And that might happen 10 years apart, but our tenure and what the impact that we bring could be completely different. Right. So yeah. Long story short, stay on your path, 
stand your shit, keep, <laughs> stay, stay true <laughs> yeah. to who you are. And, uh, I mean, shit, like greatness is it's destined for, I think everybody has their own greatness path. Um, and you're destined yeah. for it. But like Paul said, be authentic and just trust the process and you'll be good to go. So with that being said, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today, man. This thank was, you so much. Years in the fun. making. This was years <laughs> in the making. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review. Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore millennial way. And check out our website at itsmillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is The Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.